You know, sadly, we learn how to be good leaders by the actions of poor leaders. A lack of empathy for the enlisted folks. You know, the longer you lead, the less you remember what it was like to be a follower. And sometimes we forget those who are in power what it's like to not have any power. It's like the skunk that's immune to their own aroma. Leaders lead and followers cringe. This is Hans Stenzel. Welcome to the Leadership Answer Man. This is a show for leaders about taking leadership to the next level. If you desire to learn to be a better leader, this podcast is for you. I promise to give you practical leadership tips you can use right away. My passion is to help you lead more effectively. Welcome to Episode 40, How to Be an Awesome Delegator Part 2. You know, I had so much stuff from the last podcast that I just had to stretch this into two, not because I'm trying to find filler, but because, as I said before, this is one of the most important topics for great leadership and an epic topic where people get so frustrated by poor delegation and poor delegation habits. So, you know, I was thinking about all the people that listen to this podcast and I've got educators, I've got pastors, I've got ministry people. I have moms like Jordan, my wonderful daughter-in-law, who's one of my uh, faithful listeners. And she's a leader because she has two children that she's raising. In fact, I'm going to use some illustrations of my kids uh, in this podcast, just like it did in the last one. And, you know, no greater leadership responsibility than being a parent. So this stuff definitely applies. But yeah, people in business, people in the corporate world, people in sales, I don't know what your uh, line of work is, but I'd love to hear from you again. If you can write me at HansFinzel.com, go to my website. I'd love to hear how I can help you and if the show has helped you at all, how it's helped you. And if you want to go to my blog notes, you can make comments on the blog. Uh, reminder, hope you don't get sick of this reminder, but all these, a lot of the notes from this uh, podcast are on my blog notes at HansFinzel.com, as well as the directory of now woo-hoo, 40 shows that I've done. So if you look at the directory, directory on the podcast, you can see a a wide variety of topics in case you haven't been listening from the very beginning. So how to be an awesome delegator. Funny thing, I was just looking at USA Today and you know how they have those little charts on the cover bottom left of the front page, just a little graph that communicates something. And the graph was about micromanagement. I thought it was amazing because it was a survey about how micromanagers affect your productivity. And it said 55% of workers say they are less productive when they work under a micromanager. Hey, how about that? Clean delegation has some real key ingredients I want to share with you. But I just want to begin by saying this issue of delegation is really an issue of respect and how much we respect those people, quote, under us that are on our team. Uh, it could be our children. It could be our coworkers, the people that we are responsible to supervise. How much do I respect these people? You see, with responsibility must come the authority to do a job. And if you respect people, then you're going to give them authority with responsibility. Now, I, I know what some of you are thinking, Hans, I work with people that I don't respect. What do I do in that case? And I've, I've heard from a number of you who you work in a situation and you have to work with people above you and below you that you don't necessarily respect. Well, as I always say, do the best job you can at being a great example. And even if you don't 
respect some of the responsibilities uh, or some of the responses of the people that are under you. You know, I think time will tell if you give them a job or a responsibility and the authority to do it and they totally screw it up, people are going to notice. So as far as you can do, you should practice great delegation. Now, I believe in the 80-20 rule of my own personal leadership success. 80% of the time, I think I'll probably make the right decision. And 20% of the time, I'm going to make mistakes or I'm not going to do a job as well as it could have done. I allow my subordinates the freedom of the 80-20 rule as well and give them grace and room to fail. That's so important that we're not perfectionist to the degree to where we think 100% people have to do everything right all the time. I've talked to people that work for bosses like that. It's brutal. It's not fun. It's not empowering because we are human, ladies and gentlemen. We are human. So here's my rule of thumb about delegation. The person who's asked to do the job as much as possible should be allowed to choose how that job is done. Now, if you're a firefighter, there are procedures. If you're in the medical world, there are procedures. And so, of course, there are exceptions to the rule. But whenever possible in most industries and ministries and places of work, there is a wide road of options of how a job is done. And so if you're the boss, don't think people have to do it your way. Whenever possible, try to practice this rule of thumb that I've I've learned through the years. Whoever is asked to do the job, let them decide how it's going to be done. I've used this illustration before in my book about my son Mark when he was young and he washed my car. And, and I had to learn to delegate the authority and the responsibility. And guess what? He did not wash my car the way I wash my car. He did not follow my sequence, you know, starting from the top and working down, starting from the front and working back, doing the wheels last. You know, probably some of you don't do it that way. And I realized the way I could help him learn how to really do a good job is to allow him to decide how it will be done. Whenever possible, allow people the freedom to do it their way. Now, we can check the progress of our coworkers as they're doing the work. You know, and that's really important. In the last podcast, I gave the illustration of a person who was given a task. And I've got another horror story for you right now uh, where the work was not checked along the way. We check on the progress of the work when we delegate. And I'm going to explain to you some of the different ways that is done in this podcast. But we should not constantly look over their shoulders, constantly tell them how to do the work, reject their work in favor of our expert opinion on how it should have been done or reverse their strategy decisions about how they did it just for the ones that I might favor as their leader. They don't have to do it my way and they don't have to do it in the sequence. You know, ultimately, is the job going to get done? So here's some what I call five key ingredients for clean delegation. Number one, have faith in the one to whom you delegate. Have faith in that person to whom you delegate. And that's where you learn to trust, and that's where you learn to respect And uh, if you have the power to hire and fire, you should hire people that you respect and learn to respect. And if you don't have that power, then (laughs) more power to you. You know, sometimes we need to get into another situation, but have faith in the person to whom you delegate. Number two, release the desire to do it better yourself. Number three, relax from the obsession that it has to be done your way. Number four, practice patience in the desire to do it faster yourself. And number five, have a vision to develop other people under your supervision by learning how to really delegate well. 
Now, here's some guidelines as well that I want to give you for clean delegation. Number one, choose qualified people. And again, I'll give you the caveat. Some of you have written me, I have to work with people I don't want to work with. I have to work with people I don't necessarily respect. And if that's your situation, as much as possible, you should, if you're the boss, if you're a supervisor, you need to try to get people on your team that you do respect. And if you've got somebody on your team that's a problem and you don't have the courage to make a change, then that's a different issue. And that goes back to my talk on care enough to confront and to have the courage to work at getting the right people on the bus and the wrong people off the bus. So far on the show, I've given you a summary of some great points on how to be an awesome delegator, some positive steps you can do to follow to be a great and awesome delegator. But I'm not quite done. What I'd like to do now is dig down a little deeper into some abiding principles, again, that I think make for an awesome delegator. So first half of the show is kind of an overview of great things to keep in mind, but let's get a little more specific and a little deeper now in the rest of the show. So really, the first guideline for clean delegation is to choose qualified people. You know, if you got great people, then you're going to your delegation's going to work. Number 2, exhibit confidence in their work, and this will grow with time. Number 3, make their duties clear, and I'll have more to say about that in a moment. Number 4, delegate the proper authority with the responsibility. Number 5, do not tell them how to actually do the work. Number 6, set up accountability points along the way, and I'm going to tell you a story here in just a moment about a man named Sam who I worked with who got himself into a pickle, into a huge problem with his boss because there were no accountability points along the way. And it was the boss's fault, but the follower can ask for accountability points along the way. Number seven, supervise according to their follow-through style. And I'm going to give you four follow-through styles in this podcast. And different people have to be supervised in different manners. Number eight, give them room to fail occasionally. And number nine, give praise and credit for work well done. Now, if the work is not well done, you do not want to give praise when it's not earned. But as much as it is earned, you should give it. So let me tell you about Sam. Overmanaging is one of the greatest sins of leadership, but undermanaging can also be a huge problem. I remember a, a new guy came to work for me in my office, and, and he asked one of the other men who'd been working for me for about five years, uh, what's it like to work under Hans's supervision? And uh, he says, well, the best thing about Hans is he gives you so much freedom in your work. You know, he hires great people and he likes to set them free. The worst thing about Hans is he gives us so much freedom. And uh, sometimes I wish he would give us more attention. So I've learned that overmanaging is a great sin of leadership, but undermanaging and ignoring people, you can't just wind people up like the Energizer Bunny or put a new battery in them and send them off and, and never get circled back around to them. So delegation means giving people the freedom to decide how job's going to be done. Dirty delegation is constantly look over their shoulder. But here's a story of a disaster that happened with under management and very poor delegation. 
Okay, Sam, here's what I want you to do, our boss said to my good friend, and he was brand new in the organization. He had just come to work uh, for this team, and I wasn't the boss. We both worked for this other person, and this other person said, okay, Sam, I've got your first big project. You're bright. I want you to study this problem and come up with a solution that we can use to fix it. Well, Sam was so excited. He was like a hungry dog that had just been tossed up meaty bone. He tackled the assignment with gusto. He did all kinds of research. He dug in. He turned on his energy. He rolled up his sleeves and uh, he went to work. And, and he was thinking in his mind, I want to make a great impression by showing my new boss that I'm even brighter than he thinks I am. I want to get off to a great start by helping him solve a major organizational challenge that has been plaguing us for months. So he worked hard. Now, I will say that um, Sam had been given a long lead time to complete the project. And one of the, the problems that happened is there were no delegation points along the way where there was real checkup, either from the boss down to Sam or from Sam up to the boss to monitor progress. I mean, months went by and Sam put a lot of work into this project, and he eventually uh, turned in this project to uh, his boss. It was a 50-page document with all kinds of supporting evidence and rationale that this <laughs> is the magnum opus. This is the solution to our problem. And so he, he turned it into his boss, and he waited, and he waited, and he didn't hear anything for several days, and he was so anxious that he ran into the boss in the hallway, and he asked his boss. He got up the courage. I mean, this man that we worked for was kind of intimidating, and here's this brand new person, but he had the courage, and he said, hey, I just wonder what you thought of my uh, project proposal, my report that I gave you that I know you've had a few days to look at, and here's what he said. Look, looks good, Sam, but well, we decided to take another approach with that project, and he walked off. What? Can you believe what you just heard? You could just hear the air rushing out of Sam's spirit. He was crushed. He was puzzled. And you know what else he was? You would be too. He was angry. How would you have reacted if that had been done to you? Can you feel the rage that Sam felt? You know, that happened a long time ago. And I still remember how he was crushed that day. What did that boss do wrong? I can think of several outrageous things that that boss did wrong. And you know, sadly, we learn how to be good leaders by the actions of poor leaders. A lack of empathy for the enlisted folks. You know, the longer you lead, the less you remember what it was like to be a follower. And sometimes we forget those who are in power what it's like to not have any power. It's like the skunk that's immune to their own aroma. Leaders lead and followers cringe. The second outrageous mistake he made, he failed, he failed to really give the work to Sam. You know, he didn't truly delegate that responsibility because if he had, there is no way a decision would have been made without Sam as part of the equation. Any assignment should be given with the authority and the freedom to complete the task. And so there was no truly releasing that project to Sam. Uh, number three, failure to stay in touch. The next classic mistake that Sam's boss made is he never bothered to check on the progress. He didn't know that Sam was killing himself over this project and working so very hard. There were just no check-in points along the way. Be sure, no matter how much you trust people, that you have built-in check-in points along the way when you delegate. 
and a short-circuited decision-making process. That would be number four. You know, Sam just wasn't in the decision-making loop, and that should have been made clear to him at the beginning. You know, you have nothing to do with this decision. I just want your opinion. And, and actually, probably that's all that that boss wanted was a casual opinion that maybe was five pages instead of the magnum opus that was 50 pages. And so, again, the boss was not clear on how was the decision going to be made, who was going to make the final decision. All those things are important when you're delegating. You know, communication is so vital in an organization. Communication, communication, communication. A number five mistake, and I, and I just say this because I saw this happen. That boss was playing the inner circle game. Who really made the decision about scuttling Sam's project? It was the boss and his inner private circle of top management. I saw this happen so many times when I worked there. There was this little, small inner circle that the boss trusted the most and that he hung out with all the time. And behind closed doors, they were really pulling all the strings. And what happened was uh, the boss again played to that inner circle. And what does that do? It excludes everybody outside that small little circle. What do you think? happened to Sam's enthusiasm as a result of that incident. It not only took all the wind out of his sails, he tossed out the respect he had for this new leader. He was crushed in his spirit. He crawled into a shell that he maintained until the day he resigned. Not too many years after that. He did stay a few years, but eventually, as soon as he was able to find another assignment, he left. He lost respect for that leader that day, and it never got back. You know, when you lose it, it's very hard to rebuild trust. From that day on, he decided that his uh, number one goal in the organization was his own self-preservation, not the good of the hold. In fact, he told me, and I quote, I will never volunteer to do a project for him again, period. Kind of sad, isn't it? That's what happened. We have to learn how to do it correctly. Now, let me talk about follow-through styles that you should know about. It's an important principle in leadership delegation that you don't treat everybody the same, that we practice various forms of delegation. I'm going to give you uh, two examples, for one from one of my sons and one from a person that worked for me. And this is going to go back a few years. And so, Andrew, if you're listening to this podcast, you know I love you. You know I, you've turned into an amazing young man. I have so much respect for you and the career you're following. And our children are just doing so great, and they're marrying great people, and they're they have great jobs. And you know I couldn't feel more blessed. But this is when Andrew, our kids were small, and back when they were small, we had this thing called KP, Kitchen Police. And I learned this in my home because when I grew up, we Germans we had KP, Kitchen Police. And uh, it's kind of a rotating system on certain days of the week. You know, uh, the theory is <laughs> people are responsible for things like setting the table, clearing the table, taking out the garbage. You know, not a ton, but every child had certain responsibilities. And we had a KP chart. And on the day that you're up, as you rotate around, you have to be involved in, in the dinner, the evening affairs. So now Andrew had very low motivation to do this work. 
He had very low interest in doing this work and frankly had very low skill for doing this work. And so I pretty well had to constantly hover over him to get him to do it. And you know, (laughs) what teenager loves to help in the kitchen? So I had constantly hound him and harass him. And and if I left left him alone, chances are are high that the system would break down and that he needed constant close supervision. And sometimes I know you as parents, you've all, I don't know if you've tried this or not, but whatever the chores are around the house, haven't, how many times have we given up and said, I'm just going to do it myself. It's the juice is not worth the squeeze. I'm tired of this battle, but you know, we persevered and we kept at it and We had good weeks and bad weeks and good months and bad months and good years and bad years. But, you know, I do think kids ought to have some responsibilities around the house. Well, then there's Joe. Now, Joe's at the other end of the continuum. Joe worked for me uh, for a year uh, in a very demanding transition when we were moving our international headquarters from Illinois to Colorado. And I live in Denver, and he lived in Southern California, far away from my daily supervision. And he was in charge of a lot of the aspects of our relocation financially, logistically, moving people, moving families, uh, raising money, just a lot of stuff. And the thing is, it was no problem for him. He did not need my daily supervision. He was the ultimate self-directed worker. He got the job done on autopilot. He never missed deadlines and he did fabulous work. What was the difference between him and Andrew? Not just age, but motivation, interest, skill, a sense of responsibility. Now, I know that more and more people today work uh, remotely outside of an office, and I'm a big fan of that. But I've also noticed that some people are really great at working remotely and some are not so great. Uh, my son Jeremy works uh, for a great company in Chicago. And he's, you know, after you work there for so long, you're allowed to telecommute one or two days a week. And, and I just think, Jeremy, you're the great example to me of a person who really does it right. And this is the son who, yes, we battled with him doing uh, the dishes and taking out the garbage. Because you ever have one of these kids where you tell them, hey, will you please take out the garbage? And he is so focused, it goes in one ear and out the other. And, you know, an hour later, the garbage hasn't been taken out. And, you know, it's not because he's being rebellious. It just literally did not register in his psyche. You pretty well have to stand over him and wait till he does it or he'll forget about it. He's the ultimate absent-minded professor, but he's so conscientious and such a great worker. So this is a sidebar. I wasn't even going to tell this story, but I think it's a cool story. I was at his house, me and Donna, not long ago. On one of his telecommuting days, he gets up in the morning, he gets dressed really nice, business casual, as if he was going to the office. And then he sets up his little workspace there in the living room, and they have a small apartment there in, in uh, the burbs of Chicago. And he was so conscientious. He started on time. He only took breaks when the same time he would take him at his office, he took the lunch break. We had lunch together and we were kind of, you know, two little kids running around. We're doing all kinds of stuff in the same room and he's over there. And I was just so impressed with how uh, much responsibility uh, he gave to that assignment without taking advantage of the company. There's a person who has high interest, high motivation, high skill, and a high sense of responsibility. And you can delegate to a person like that and they're going to get the job done. You know, years ago, there was a book called Management of Organizational Behavior by Hershey and Blanchard. And they first came up with what's called situational leadership. And it's really a mistake to try to supervise everybody the same. 
And in Hershey Blanchard's situational leadership style, there are four styles of delegation. And uh, I'm going to put the chart on my podcast notes. There's a delegation continuum, the follow-through styles of different kind of workers. And on one end of the continuum, there's low interest, low motivation, low skill. And on the other side is high interest, high motivation, and high skill. Now, here are the four styles of supervising those four kinds of people. Delegating is number one, and that's the kind that's the highest level. This is the best kind of supervision for the person who, like Joe and like my son Jeremy, is self-directed and highly skilled at his work or her work and highly responsible. Number two, participating. This is the kind of situation which the leader's working with the follower. The leader literally shows the follower how to get the job done. And that's when I taught my son, Mark, how to wash my car. I said, you know, let's do it together for a couple of times. And I'll just kind of give you some tips. Uh, we'll do it together for a season and then I'll turn you loose. That's participatory management. You're participating with that person in their execution, but you got to eventually move beyond participating to just pure delegation. Well, selling, now that's an interesting mode of supervision. Selling is when people have high skill, but low motivation. They'll do the job, but Many times you just have to sell them on doing. And this is particular. If you're in ministry or in education or in government, nonprofit type of work, we have to do a lot of selling because we are not a command and control culture. In a nonprofit world, even in a church world where you have a lot of volunteers, you have to sell people with your vision and motivation to get them to do stuff. It's not that they're not highly skilled. They may just not be motivated until you sell them. And that's that's a part of nonprofit work. And finally, telling. This is the approach that I took with Andrew and my other children uh, when it came to KP. They had no interest, low motivation, low skill. And I said, you will do this as part of this family. With some people, you have to strongly tell them what they must do. Uh, This is very common in the military. It's a very command and control. It's the lowest form of delegation, and it should be used as little as possible. Well, those are the the four styles of supervision. Let me just summarize with a couple of principles that I just love. Four stages of delegation. First, the assignment. Number two, give them the authority. Number three, hold them accountable with those accountability systems. And number four, feedback slash affirmation. And this depends on whether they did a good job or not. Okay, so Hans, they didn't do a good job. What do I do? You tell them honestly. All right, here's what you did well. Just like Mark, when he first began to wash my car, said, son, this is awesome. You did such a great job on the roof and the windows. But you know what? The wheels, they kind of suck. You just didn't do a good job with those. So, you know, be honest and say, you know, we're going to try this again. And it does get better and they do improve. Okay, Hans, What if they don't improve? Well, then you may need to make a change uh, because I've seen that happen too where people cannot learn the skills necessary for the job. And then you have to make some tough decisions. I want to leave you with uh, something I've used often through the years. It's what I call the four questions every follower asks. What am I supposed to do? Will you let me do it? Will you help me when I need it? And will you let me know how I'm doing? Hey, thanks so much for listening today. Be sure and write me your leadership questions, your challenges. And if this has been helpful to you, I'd love to hear about it. 
tweet about it, that would just mean a lot to me. And if you could give me a great review in iTunes, that will spread the word. Okay, it's not for my ego. It's just so that more people learn about this podcast. This has been Hans Finzel. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Answer Man. Remember that leaders make great things happen. We can always take our leadership to the next level. I hope you keep listening and learning and that you go out there this week and make a difference with your leadership. Leadership.